0: So to begin with, I'd like to read you a quote. Uh, This is by Nyoshul Ken Rinpoche. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard of this before. And actually, I'm going to read it twice. Sometimes something like this, we need to hear it a couple times to allow it to really penetrate and sink in deeply. So if you'd like you you might even close your eyes and allow yourself to listen not just with your head but with your your whole body as I'm reading this. It's short. This is really more of an instruction than anything else. Rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thoughts, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. Samsara's wheel of becoming over and over and over again is certainly at the root of this neurotic mind, neurotic thoughts. So I'll read it one more time. Rest. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind. Beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thoughts, like the restless, relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest, and natural great peace. So as you're sitting here, perhaps staying connected to yourself, eyes can be opened or closed, I'm going to ask you the question, have you become exhausted yet by your mind? Do you ever find yourself just exhausted by your thoughts, your needs, your wishes, your wants, your regrets, your planning, your dreaming, your spinning-out mind? Perhaps that's not your mental experience all the time, and I, I certainly hope it's not. And I don't mean to make it sound like that has to be the norm. Although, for some of us, maybe if we're paying attention really closely, we notice more and more that this is often the inclination of this mind. And so I use the word neurotic to describe all of this. Not as a special condition, but a condition that we're all actually suffering from. Perhaps you're here tonight because you're exhausted by this neurotic mind. Maybe you're here because you wanted to check out meditation and... You don't know much about it or maybe you've started a meditation practice and it's more so to relieve yourself of stress and to feel a little bit better all of which is really quite fine and a wonderful reason to come and as we begin to pay attention to our experience, our mental experience in particular, and how we're relating to this world and relating to ourself, we might be maybe even unhappily surprised to find just how exhausting our mind really is. I notice this on retreat a lot. Um, Whether I'm teaching retreat or sitting on retreat, uh, whether it's my experience or a yogi's experience, it's all kind of the same, that when we go on retreat and we're sitting silently for a period of time, not speaking to each other, really lacking a lot of the outside distractions and influences that we have in this daily life, we quickly become in tune with all that's going on in there. In fact, you probably got a taste of it just in that 40-minute sit, which was only 40 minutes, by the way. (laughs) That might be surprising for some of you if you were really caught up in it. It's just a highlight of 40 minutes, but that 40 minutes is probably a continuous uh, pattern in your day-to-day life that goes quite unnoticed. And so when you go on silent meditation retreat, there aren't those distractions. And so we come face-to-face with this mind. And so often what I see in retreat, and something that I've experienced myself the first few days, maybe the first day, it's great. And we're really excited to be there. And uh, the teachers are there. We're excited to see them. Maybe uh, the silence is relief. We're happy to be in silence. The food's really good. Um, we don't have to do very much. We don't have to talk. We don't have to put on our personality for anybody. We're in silence. We're practicing. So we're we're happy about that. And then day two comes. And often day two is pretty long. Mostly because we're stuck in what I call the push and pull of our mind, trying to make things a certain way. Trying to uh, achieve what we came here to do, or came to the retreat to do. Um, Even off of retreat, boy, I've noticed that just here in the hall. Coming here with... An expectation that this practice is going to be a certain way tonight. Oh, I've been feeling so good today. I bet my sit is going to be blissful. (laughs) And then it's nothing, it's anything but, right? (laughs) I see some nods. Yeah. So this happens, of course, on retreat. And we get into this push and pull, trying to create our experience. And guess what? It's exhausting, and often what I see in yogis and I've seen in myself is that we exhaust ourselves over a certain period of time. Oops, I just lose an earring? I did. We exhaust ourselves after a certain period of time. We, we might get discouraged. We start to... Um, Let go a little bit. We stop trying so hard because we can't. We're totally exhausted. In fact, I often find that what happens for yogis, uh, for for many of us, me included, uh, is that we kind of crash after a while. We're putting in all this effort. It takes a lot of effort to get involved with this push and pull of trying to form our experience. And so we crash. We get just exhausted to the point where we really can't keep up that level of energy anymore. And although it's really painful, in a sense, to see all the stuff going on in our mind, it's painful. It's uncomfortable. It's excruciatingly uncomfortable sometimes. And yet, this getting tired of it, there's something important there. And that's what I want to talk about this evening. It's what I want to highlight this evening. There's something really important in that moment of just, I give up. I can't do this push and pull anymore. Unfortunately, we often miss that moment. And so on retreat or even off of retreat, what happens is we either get to this place where we just let go and give in. It's this beautiful moment where we go from rubbing up against our experience. I love the word friction because internally, to me, that is what it feels like, just coming up against what's actually happening right now. Anything but this, right? coming up against it to just kind of giving up, letting go into it. This, This is what's happening right now. It's really hard, but this is what's happening right now. And just in that, you can see just physically the difference between the trying and the efforting and the doing and the becoming that is part of this friction action, and then just... Letting go into it. Maybe even as I'm talking about it, you can feel it internally, that shift. Here, outside of retreat, we miss this. The fact that we have a lot of this internal friction going on in our mind. And it's for good reason that we miss it. Uh, we, I think our mind, when it's in this neurotic pattern, which I'll, 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 I'm going to explain neurotic a little bit more in just a moment, but uh, you can bear with me if you will. This, this neurotic pa- patterning of the mind, uh, it seems to be able to go a little longer outside of retreat. We don't notice it so much. We are distracted. We have plenty of things here to distract us from it. In fact, we have entire coping mechanisms to keep us distracted from it because it is uncomfortable. When we're not familiar with it and we don't know how to be with it, we have all sorts of ways to cope, even healthy ways to cope. But of course, it doesn't do us any favors in the long run. So sometimes it's not until we're we're screaming and yelling and stomping our feet and completely overwhelmed by this mind that we finally notice something isn't right. Something isn't working here. This is just not working for me anymore. All this stuff that's going on in my mind, the spinning out, the overwhelm, the constancy This doesn't, this isn't working. But if we don't know that there's another way, there's no getting off that train. We are still stuck in the neurotic mind. In fact, oftentimes, I know I've done this, we try to figure our way out of the neurotic mind using our neurotic mind, (laughs) it's not very functional, is it? It just does this. That cycle of samsara that I talked about at the very beginning, the cycle of becoming over and over and over again, that is the neurotic mind trying to figure out the neurotic mind, trying to fix itself. It just does this. Circles. But if we can notice it, if we can catch it, oh, this is just my mind, this is that neurotic thing she was talking about, then there's something we can do with that. In fact, when we start to see it more clearly, it becomes an incredible, incredibly powerful source for our intention to be free of it. When we are truly exhausted by our mind, then we are incredibly motivated to be free of it. One of my teachers, Anam Tupton Rinpoche, talks about the exhausted mind and is quite an inspiration for this talk, actually. And he's said a number of times that a wonderful prayer to recite might be May my mind, may I be exhausted by this mind. May I be exhausted by this mind. In other words, may I notice it for what it is. May I not be so enchanted by it, so entertained by it, so caught by it. May I see it for what it is and be exhausted by it so that I can finally let go, be motivated to do something else because this is not working anymore. Right before I came here I was coming in from the city and I was uh, just before I got onto the bridge, there was this giant billboard and it caught my eye because it said in big bubble letters, free yourself. And there's this there was this dog that was making a break for it and he you know, it was uh kind of a snapshot of of this dog uh in full flight with this big grin and its mouth was wide open and kind of flapping in the wind and its ears were flapping in the wind and it was just making a break for it, just freeing himself. (laughs) And I kind of feel like when we get in touch with this exhaustion for this neurotic mind, that is what it feels like. That is the feeling of the intention that becomes sourced from that. May I be free from this? And we will run towards that freedom. But we don't always catch it. Just out of curiosity, since I've been say, talking about it for a little bit now, how many of you identify with being exhausted with your mind sometimes. It doesn't have to be all the time. Okay. Great. (laughs) That's fantastic. That makes me really happy. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. So, what is this neurotic mind? You know, so last week, I talked about uh, aversion and our experience of aversion in the mind. Aversion, if you weren't here last week or if you haven't heard about it before, is one of three root poisons, as they're called in Buddhism, in the mind. Aversion being um, our, our, our... almost knee-jerk response and need to be separate from our experience or to push away our experience. Aversion or to be aversive is just this non-acceptance of this is what's happening right now. Instead, we we almost go into defense mechanism, right? We kind of push it away. Don't want this. Sometimes it looks like fixing it. Um, This is an aversive mind and it's called a root poison, a poison in the mind. It's something that's preventing us from seeing clearly in that moment. So it's one of three. So the other two are greed and delusion. And they all often travel together. And so greed would be somewhat of the opposite of aversion, this wanting Wanting something that isn't here in the moment. This just this need for something more or something extra or something other than this wanting, kind of this pulling forward, often ends up uh, into this future thinking mode where we're really not present or content. There's no room for contentment for this moment when we're in a, a greed mind state. And then delusion has many different flavors. It might just simply be that we're completely clueless of what is actually happening right now. Disconnected is one way that I like to think of delusion. It's not connected with what's actually here right now. Most likely, um, all three are mixed in some cocktail when we are uh, in our neurotic thoughts. Some of us are more inclined to one of these poisons, uh, and some of us are are pretty well mixed up in all of it. (laughs) But whatever it is, I like this word poison. My husband and I were talking about this, different phrases in the car on the way here. This word poison, you get this sense of You know, something being dropped into the purity of experience that actually, one, doesn't need to be there. It's added. doesn't need to be there. And it's obscuring and tainting our understanding, our clarity, our wisdom, our heart. So this is the neurotic mind that I'm talking about. the mind that just spins and spins, or the mind that's really confused and unsure or doubtful or not wanting and then wanting and not wanting and then wanting, and you just get this sense of what this does to the mind, and it's not personal. Oftentimes when we are stuck in this neurotic mind, the first thing we do is we take it personal. Even when we see it, we see it as what it is, just my I'm just spinning out. And even still, we'll get caught by it. There'll be this little story that weaves its way in. The story of, you know, I'm not good enough, or there's something wrong with me, or I can't do it, I give up, or no one likes me, nobody could love me. These kinds of stories, we take it really personal. Or maybe you're the type that goes more on the defensive, so it becomes about everybody else, right? It's not so internalized, but more externalized. So, you know, it's them, it's not me. Or if this had happened, then I wouldn't have done this. Or, you know, it's their fault or their problem or whatever it is. So we have different ways in which we, we are activated uh, when we're in this neurotic mind even when we see it, we can still get caught. It's so tricky. It's so tricky. And that's where the practice comes in. So, we have a lot of different practices in this tradition. And there's a reason for that. The purpose for all of these different practices, and I'm going to go through a number of them in just a moment, is so that we can remedy and bring healing to this poisoned mind so that we can actually have a whole set of tools to reach for when we are noticing greed, hatred, or delusion. And so we might start by just saying enough. Enough, no. So, like if a dog, if your pet jumped up on the table and started eating scraps of food, you'd probably say, No, get down, right? You, maybe. <laughs> we all have different rules at home, but perhaps <laughs> that would be going just too far, right? Get down, that's enough, right? Sometimes we need to be this way with our mind. We see how harmful these mind states are. And something wiser has to come in and say, no, stop, that's enough. And maybe the mind listens and maybe it doesn't. But the idea here is that there's something else holding these neurotic thoughts that's much wiser and not believing them anymore. The key is just not believing them anymore. Not being enticed by them. So that might be the first or one of the ways that we respond to these neurotic thoughts. Just just say no, as they say to the kids. <laughs> just say no to your mind. Other times it's simply giving it attention. Just giving it our attention. What is this? What's going on here? Mindfulness. Our mindfulness practice. Observing what's actually here right now. You know. Maybe you just sat through an hour of traffic. That was my experience this evening. And you get out of the car, and the first thing you do is snap at somebody. And if you can catch yourself, hopefully beforehand, maybe you can catch yourself beforehand, but maybe it's after. And if you can stop and look, what's, what's actually going on right here? Bring your attention, your mindfulness into the body. Know what's being known. You know, oh, I have so much anxiety or tightness in my body right now. My mind is grouchy right now. I'm not experiencing much pleasant right now. Using our mindfulness to really observe what's going on in the mind. From there, we have so much more information to work off of. We don't have to be so habitual with our reaction. We can actually respond To how we're feeling using our mindfulness practice. I have a story I want to tell you, but I hesitate slightly because I think I've taught it, I've told this story a couple times now, so this might be familiar, uh, but maybe that doesn't matter. A number of years ago, I was uh, teaching at a family retreat up at Spirit Rock, and basically my role was camp counselor. Uh, for the 8-, 9-, and 10-year-olds. And we always had, I've done it a few times, and we had a great group, as usual. Um, and, you know, you always have different dynamics with different kids. And this one particular year, there was one young boy who has really stuck in my mind who was just a little uh, uh, Dharma lesson for me that year. Uh, His name is Ricky, and Ricky was this really jovial child, really wonderful child. Uh, uh, Lots of curly red hair, freckles, beautiful smile. He was a beautiful kid. And my guess is Ricky went through a growth spurt that year. Um, He was a little bigger than the other kids and didn't really know the boundaries of his body, so he just kind of Bounced around and would run into the other kids and into, other, into the you know, statues and objects, and were always kind of kind of tending to everything in his wake <laughs> the first couple of days at least and and Ricky just has this really or he had this really strong personality of when he had his mind on something he was going to go do it. And he would get so focused on things, and he just—he seemed to just block everything out. And so I could be standing there saying, Ricky, 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 <laughs> and get no response, and just feel like this repetitive parrot after a while. And I noticed, as t- the days went on, that my patience with Ricky went from you know, very accepting and open to more and more challenged. And there was this one day where we decided we would take the kids out for a walk, and we, we um, had this destination in mind where we were going to have snack, and as we walked, we walked down the, the drive that, that leads up to the meditation center, so we're walking down the drive, and to do this, because there's the occasional car, we have all the kids in a line, and I've got, I'm have got. i leading the pack. So I'm in front, my back's to the kids. And uh, I can hear behind me the kids saying, no, Ricky, stop it. Get back in line. Don't cut. And there's this commotion going on, and I'm noticing inside myself. Oh. <laughs> the patience beginning to crumble. And I can... Feel Ricky moving his way up through the line and hearing all the commotion that's going on with that. And now I know he's right behind me. And so I stop the line and I turn around and I said, Ricky, what's going on? And I'm just exasperated at this point. What is going on? And he looks at me equally exasperated and says, I don't know. <laughs> And it was this really wonderful point in time that I'll never forget. It was a beautiful gift from Ricky of just, if Ricky was a mind state, (laughs) this child that just is bouncing around and doing his thing, right, just being a kid, And if my attention is so caught up in how I think it should be, and how he should be, or my mind moment should be, and if I don't just turn around and give him a little bit of attention, which I did after this, I'll tell you in a moment, oh, the friction in that moment of just what is going on. But of course, he doesn't know what's going on. He's just being Ricky. He's just being himself. Our mind is just doing its thing. It's not personal. So with Ricky, what I did just instinctually, he, and he was, he was upset, I was upset, is I just, the line has stopped at this point, and I gave him this big hug, and I said, oh, I see you. <laughs> I see you. Do you want to stand behind me? And he, he just wanted to walk behind me. He wanted to be first. And he said, yes. And I said, okay. <laughs> but it was just a moment of, I see you. He just kind of needed to be seen, and I needed to see him just as he was. And we do this with our mindfulness practice and with all that's going on in our mind. Instead of getting caught up by it, what is going on? We can turn towards it and just, oh, you want to be first. Or, (laughs) you know, you're just really excited or have a lot of energy, or you're slogging through it right now, or you're really aversive, or you're just irritated, or you've got low blood sugar, honey, it's okay. You know, we just turn towards it and give it our attention with our mindfulness. What's going on? So this is one of the ways in which we can practice with this neurotic mind, Another way is our concentration practice. Our mind is spinning out. It's just regurgitating information. It's not really thinking about anything in particular that's important or needed in this moment. It's just really active. Sound familiar? Perhaps what's needed in this moment is not just our attention, but some way in which to collect the mind and to stabilize the mind, to bring in a sense of tranquility, to help balance the mind, to balance that energy in the mind. We have a practice for that, our concentration practice. So as the mind is going, 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 we bring our attention perhaps to something else, the body sitting here. We did that at the beginning of the sit. Feeling the body on the floor, your feet on the ground if you're standing. Maybe it's not your feet or your legs or your bottom, maybe it's your hands in your hand. Just feeling that contact. And so you can do that right now and just feel as the mind collects... Around this sensation, a sensation that's fairly neutral but slightly pleasant. The mind doesn't have to do anything else. It's that line, that final line in Rinpoche's quote Rest in natural great peace. Can you just rest the mind, collect the mind, right in this moment? Nothing else is needed. It might, you might notice, if you have a busy mind this evening, that it tries to escape. (laughs) And so you'll feel that mind energy kind of trying to find something else to go to. A mind that's not been trained Doesn't necessarily like to be collected and tranquil. Doesn't really know what that is. I know I've used dogs a lot so far in this talk. I don't know why, but they're they're in the room with us this evening. (laughs) But I often teach children uh, mindfulness and meditation, and um, we talk about the mind as a puppy dog mind. And this is this is what the the mind the dog the mind does. You can tell a puppy dog to sit and to stay but the dog doesn't know what you're talking about when it's a puppy, has no clue. And so, you know, in a second, it's off again. And so with concentration practice and with mindfulness practice, all we're doing is we're collecting the mind, we're bringing it back, just like you would with a dog. Right with a little puppy. They're cute for a reason, right? (laughs) So you're not necessarily losing it with the dog. You're just taking them and putting them back down and saying, sit and stay. Just stay. And we do that over and over and over again. Keep collecting the mind. Keep uh, inclining towards this tranquility or this sense of ease and relaxation in the body. And as we do this more and more, and as the mind becomes more used to this, The mind can then start to incline towards this, believe it or not. I know for some of us, our minds are really busy, and this might sound next to impossible, but it takes practice, it takes training, just like it does with a puppy. If the puppy's never taught, it never stays, it never learns that trick. So even though we're not puppies anymore... (laughs) What we do know about the brain is it is malleable. It's trainable. We can create new habits. We can create new ways of being. And so we do that in this practice as we bring our attention back. We just keep collecting it. And over time, we don't have to try so hard. We can start to just incline towards this concentration, this collected, tranquil mind. And there can be this shift. Beautiful practice. That half day that I talked about will really go into that um, if that's not a practice that you've been developing yet. So concentration practice, a wonderful way to work with this neurotic mind. Sometimes what our mind really needs is to be bathed in metta, and loving kindness. Sometimes it's not enough to just cultivate mindfulness and concentration. Sometimes what we need is something more healing than that, although those can be very healing practices, especially the concentration practice. And metta is a form of concentration practice. But I also want to pull out this quality of the heart practices, whether it's metta, the loving-kindness practice, the, constant, or the uh, compassion practice, the joy practice, equanimity practice, all four of these, the brahma-viharas. These are all heart practices that we can cultivate, and sometimes it's what's needed. Sometimes we need to be bathed in this open, steady heart this heart that can hold these neurotic thoughts, a heart that can hold our hurt, that can hold our disgust or our feeling of defeat or our anger or whatever it is that is mixed in with our neurotic mind. We need to take care. Sometimes that stern, no, that's enough, isn't actually what's needed. And for those of us who are more inclined towards that, it's something just to notice. Is that your only tool that you're using? Is it working? (laughs) Maybe what's needed is something more loving, more tender, something that actually will provide a connection between your heart and your mind if they're feeling really disconnected these days. So the heart practices, the Brahma-vihara practices, which we've talked quite a lot about just in this last year. Um, and if you're not familiar with them, you can check out different talks online that are specific to those and just to know that they are part of this tradition and part of the toolbox that we can we can reach for, bathing ourselves in this loving kindness, compassionate, wise heart, and then finally, although there's many more, but um, the last one I'd like to share with you is just to ignore it. <laughs> Sometimes our job in this practice is simply to ignore it. Sometimes we can throw everything we've got at it. And it's just going to be, it just does what it's doing. It's Ricky, as we're saying, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. And we're throwing at our meta and we're throwing our concentration and our mindfulness and we're trying, no, no, no. And none of it's working. It's just doing its thing. And so we just, need to ignore it. This is the mind. This is what's happening right now. Not ignore it like push it away. Ignore it as in just not getting caught by it. Almost allowing, this word allow. Allowing it to be there. You don't need to fix it. You don't need to do anything with it. Just know it's there and continue on. That's actually a possibility. We don't have to get so caught by it. Now, the more and more we practice with it, get to know this neurotic mind, which is counterintuitive. We've talked a lot about that as well in here, that it's counterintuitive practice. Everything in us says, get rid of it, fix it, you know, cope with it, do something else, cover it up, bandage it, make it look pretty, make it look nice. But that's, um, it's not working, is it? We actually have to find these ways to, to be with it, to get to know it, intimately get to know it. That's where tra- change and transformation actually come from. We can't ignore it anymore. It's, uh, it's a lot like, um, I was thinking of these poisons as a garden and those of you who garden know that you have to tend to your garden often. Otherwise, the weeds grow in. And these poisons in the mind, these greed, hatred, delusion that lead to this neurotic mind, these are the weeds in our garden, in our mind. If we ignore them, they don't just disappear, they flourish, in fact. And they choke all of the beauty. And similarly to a garden, sometimes we get kind of complacent or we feel like, well, those weeds, they're kind of pretty. They're kind of nice. I don't mind them so much. And so we allow them to be there. And the problem with that isn't Maybe they are really nice looking. But they're not living in harmony with the rest of the life that's there. The rest of the plants that that you've grown, that you're trying to grow. They're not living in harmony. This neurotic mind does not live in harmony. It's not in harmony with truth or how things are. It's not in harmony with others, it's not with, in harmony with ourselves. And so we have to tend to it. We have to turn towards it instead of turning away from it, becoming complacent, or even feeling victimized by it. Like we're a victim to the rooting and growing of these weeds. And ultimately what we have to realize, and this is so beautifully put in Eve Decker's song about the garden that no, no not only are we the gardener but we're also the garden that us not tending to our mind is actually causing harm to ourselves it's creating more suffering for ourselves more stress more discomfort. So, I'd like to read this quote one more time, and then we'll have a little bit of time for Q and A. And so, we can now listen to it maybe with uh, more understanding. Rest in natural, great peace. This exhausted mind beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thoughts like the, re- the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. So, we have a little bit of time. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, this subject. Um, And also any questions that you might have, anything I can clarify for you. This was a really wonderful time uh, to do that. Make sure
1: it's on. There we go. Hello. So I have a question about uh, mind- mindfulness. So um, we want to be mindful. We, f- we see it as a good thing. But um, in the process of trying to be mindful, can we ever be too mindful about being mindful? <laughs> and in that, in that way, it becomes a neurotic cycle.
0: A neurotic cycle.
1: Yeah, if if we're trying to, be, if you're actively trying to be mindful about being mindful.
0: Uh huh. Will you hold on to the mic for a second? Um, will you say a little bit more? I, it, my sense is this is coming perhaps out of your own experience of something. Maybe you could say more specifically what it is that you're experiencing.
1: Um, okay. Say so when we first, when I first came in, I tried to be aware about the about what's going on. Uh-huh. So, I try to be careful uh in in not making too much of distractions uh-huh. and then uh in the process, I try really hard to to think about any other um possible, possible uh ways that I should be more careful about uh-huh. so in that sense i I kind of get i might get stuck in a cycle of constantly thinking about um how to be uh even more aware yeah so yeah that could be a neurotic cycle yes itself.
0: Yeah, it's just thoughts. It's actually, um, I'm not sure that, you know, I can't jump into your head and tell you for sure, but it, it sounds to me like it actually is moving away from mindfulness into you're actually getting stuck in a, a swirl of thinking about mindfulness, which isn't uncommon. And so in that moment, just know that it's not a problem. Uh you just notice thinking, and actually, the moment you notice that you are stuck in thought and that you're not actually being present, that mo- the moment you notice that is a moment of mindfulness. you don't actually have to bring your mind back to anything in that moment you're mindful again, but perhaps to simply anchor your mind and collect the mind, like I was talking about with concentration. You might bring your attention to something like the body sitting here, or to your breath, or to sound, or something like that. You can be mindful of your thoughts. So it's not that thoughts are bad. We can be mindful of our thoughts. It's when we get stuck in them, when we're no longer aware that we're thinking. That's when, you know, it doesn't have to be a problem. It's just that it's something different, right? It feels different, too. If you'll experience the thinking of, about being mindful, you might notice uh, after you've broken that cycle and you become present again, oh, I'm just thinking. Notice the body and how it, there might be just a little bit of tension This is a game that I like to play in my meditations. I notice just how my body is feeling. And that clues me into how much thinking I was doing (laughs) and how wrapped up I was in my mind. And then I can relax again and feel my body here and just be present with it. Know that I'm sitting here. Know that I'm breathing. Yeah, great. Thank you for that question about way in the back? Thank you.
1: Um, Hello. There
2: we go. Um, Yeah. My question is about when you're feeling so exhausted that doing any of these practices that you kind of talked about is sort of feels like beyond your capacity. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I am speaking from, from first-hand experience. I mean, I sure. oftentimes feel like the um, mental, emotional, you know, neuroses can be so exhausting that it's it's the most I can do to just sit there exhausted.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually it. That might be all that's needed. Now. I do want to say that for all of us, when our mind, when we haven't been training our mind in this way, and for some of us, it takes a lifetime to even, you know, perhaps get close to uh, being able to catch ourselves right away when we're in these neurotic thoughts. For some of us, that's really true. It doesn't mean don't, Practice because there is a benefit to it. You will see a, a change and a difference. But it, it can feel like a lot of work for some of us. And then also for some of us, it's, it doesn't, over a period of time, it doesn't take so much work. And so even though what you're describing could really easily just be discouraging, a lot of doubt can come up, I don't think I can do this. The idea in this practice is to then turn towards that. So you're exhausted. You're exhausted by your mind. And all you can do is just sit there. Turn your attention to noticing what it feels like to be totally exhausted. You don't have to do anything else but just be there for it. Notice as the mind tries to spin out. What does that feel like? It's this light touch of energy, just moving towards and turning towards what's actually happening in this moment, rather than turning away. So as much energy as it takes to simply turn towards it and to stay there, that's all that's needed. And then as you sit there with it for a little while, you might notice a shift. Most likely you will eventually. Something happens. Something different is felt. And maybe suddenly there's a little more concentration. Or maybe there's a thought of, may I feel well, which is the metta. Or, this is really hard, but I know I'm okay, which is the compassion and a little bit of equanimity. So not much is actually needed. It can sound, especially when we first start, it can sound like a lot of doing, this practice. It's it's more like riding a bike. In the beginning, it takes a lot of balance, and it it takes a lot of effort and energy, and then after a while, you just jump on the bike, you don't really think about it. So the practice works like that, often. So it's just, just enough energy to turn towards it that helpful at all Yeah one of the beautiful things about this tradition also is that we're all asked to see for ourselves what's true for you you know not to take my word for it or anybody else's word for it but just to keep inquiring what's what seems really true right now and so you might just bring that in as you're there with I can't do anything with this. I'm too exhausted. Just notice if you can question that a little bit. Uh, and who knows? Who knows what will come out of it? It might be just absolutely true. <laughs> and then sometimes it might not be. Yeah. Jim. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, hello um
2: thank you so much for this this is um this practice is new to me um although I'm someone that's that's very involved with you know personal development actively and spirituality and i I do think that for me one of the things that's hard i'm I'm also an introvert so i'm I'm very introspective and um I do have a tendency to i i understand where um the people who've spoken thus far just now um are talking about being over mindful in the sense that i um, i notice my i notice the the um the patterns that my mind are taking and then spend all of my time trying to analyze them and figure out the origin of them and yeah. you know be very active in them and i just wanted to share something that has been really helpful to me in the past couple of months that um the technique you talked about just ignoring it reminded me of, uh, this is something that I notice particularly when I'm feeling anxious, which, you know, is a a circular thought patterns that then become physical reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's always around something from the ego, you know, like why did you say that or you're not good enough or those sorts of thoughts. And uh, (laughs) one moment I just realized that I didn't have to feel that way it was like a non-attachment that by analyzing the feelings that i was having and trying to figure out their origin and saying you know (laughs) you you should you shouldn't be feeling this way you practice all of these you know but by this this moment of saying i don't have to be attached it's like as if i'm analyzing it is what gives it even more power Mm. because i'm taking ownership of that way of feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm taking ownership of the victimization that I'm feeling of myself and all of these things. But I hit this moment where I thought, you know, I don't I don't have to feel this way. <laughs> but I can practice non-attachment to this and say, okay, there's something in in the back of my mind that's saying I can I can feel okay right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's extremely difficult to do. I'm not trying to do it. But um I found it to be somewhat effective a yeah. couple of times, and that's what this just ignoring it sort of felt like to me is mm-hmm. just saying, okay, <laughs> you know, and letting that go yeah. instead of holding on to it and running with it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, this is just the mind. I use just a lot in my practice. Just the mind. Just neurotic thought. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> it doesn't have to be so personal. It isn't personal. That's you know, that's the big secret. <laughs> Maybe it's not it's not really a secret, it's just kind of a secret to most of us. That it's it's not personal. Yeah. 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 Well thank you. <laughs> And then uh, how oh, yeah, okay. I just wanted
2: to um, hear your thoughts on like guilt as of, as, mm-hmm. and as opposed to remorse, yeah, like how that affects our actions in the present moment or in the future, yeah. in, in Buddhist practice.
0: -hmm. Is it something that's coming up for you these yeah. days or just a curiosity?
2: Well,
1: it comes up a lot.:
0: Yeah, is this guilt. Yeah. It's, um, uh, maybe I'll just preface my response by saying I was, um, I was raised, uh, Irish Catholic, which we feed on guilt (laughs) and, uh, I think that's fair to say. I think my relatives would laugh at that. But there's some truth to it, that guilt is actually something we're taught as um, a very wholesome experience. And I think that it's just too easily misunderstood, our guilt, this experience of guilt. Um, It so quickly turns into shame. And... um, It's, in my opinion, uh, when we are in touch with the truth of cause and effect, that our actions have an effect. Our speech has an effect. Our intentions have an effect. Our thoughts have an effect. All of this creates um, momentum. And... It's why it's so important how we act, speak, what we do for a living, um, what, where we prioritize our life, uh, where our intentions are coming from. It's all so, so important so that we're not continuing the cycle of possible harming actions. Even the subtlest harm is harm, Right? when we can think about it in this constructive way, looking back at harm that we have done so that we can learn from it, so that we can no longer continue this cycle of harming, we can break that cycle to create something different, something wholesome, something loving, connected, caring, selfless, then we're doing something worthwhile with that experience that maybe didn't go the way we wish it had gone. When we get stuck in the cycle of guilt, of feeling shame and guilt for what we've done, and it's more of just a mental exercise of chastising ourselves, we're actually continuing this cycle you can see it, right, as I'm talking about it. This cycle of harm. It's not helpful. It's just not helpful. It is a wonderful mindfulness bell that something is not right. That we're, that something, some way that we're behaving or something that we're doing is causing some kind of harm. It's It's a mindful alarm that we need to care for our actions and our speech, that certain amount of care needs to be taken here. And possibly also going to ask for forgiveness, engaging in a forgiveness practice, engaging also in possibly uh, generosity practices to create kind of the opposite effect of maybe the selfishness of action and speech that we were engaged in that was so harmful. But the ruminating about it in this cycle of guilt is just creating a lot more harm, in in my opinion. And I think that's aligned with the Buddhist teachings, as far as I know. Um, Is that helpful? Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I will say in the Catholic tradition, we have the beautiful tradition of uh, confession which um, there, that tradition also exists in the monastic tradition of Buddhism, but we don't really have that as lay people so much, unless you're coming to meet with a teacher, which um, you know we are actually available for. But there isn't a real formal ceremony of that, and um, sometimes that's what's needed to release the mind from that patterning. So whether it's you come to a teacher, someone appropriate to talk to about it or um, even just writing it down and releasing it. Uh, that might be something that's constructive and helpful so that you can then move from that in a healthy way, right? So that something more wholesome can come uh, from that. Yeah. Thank you. So, Jim, I saw your hand, but we're out of time. We're actually over. Sorry. Um I'll dedicate the merit and we'll close our time together. So we just take this time to acknowledge that this practice is not just for us, that this, uh, when engaged with an intention that is selfless, can be a selfless act in itself, to be here in practice together and to encourage that type of intention and also that karmic effect, we dedicate our practice, our effort, our connection here together, we dedicate it to all beings everywhere. And we wish for all beings to have happiness and contentment in their life, to have safety from internal and external harm, to be healthy in the mind as well as in the body, and to experience a sense of contentment and ease. May all beings be liberated and freed.